people everywhere in the world that we went together went crazy seeing her. And it was almost like they were fetishizing her completely. You know, creating like almost a plastic object which they could worship. And in that case, it's this Barbie, Amer all-American, blonde, you know, plastic thing that Paris is very good at putting on. I think it's that image that is both extremely appealing and extremely repulsive. And I think it's because people don't like in themselves how much they're drawn to that. You know, I didn't like as a kid the part of me, that little bit of me that, that wanted to look like Paris Hilton, but the desire was there. So that's that same thing, the fetish, you know, I want to look like Barbie. I don't want to want to look like Barbie. I hate Barbie. It's all there together, all mixed up. And you see that in that reaction to Paris. Intense love, intense hate. Anyone who knows me knows that I am an enthusiastic recommender. I will always have a podcast that I want you to listen to, a book that I want you to read. And recently I had a documentary that I wanted everyone to watch. The new Paris Hilton documentary on YouTube. And I got very mixed reactions. Some rolled their eyes. Someone asked me why they would spend two hours learning about someone who became famous for being famous. But then more interestingly were the reactions I got from women my age who had watched the documentary and sort of shyly told me that they'd seen it and they'd loved it. Most of us grew up in the towering shadow of Paris Hilton's fame, her controversy, this desirability that surrounded her as well as the dismissal. Throughout this documentary, a voice behind the camera asking gently, are you afraid to grow up? And that voice behind the camera is filmmaker Alexandra Dean, who I have on the podcast today. What I began to realize was that somewhere along the way, we were all given permission to hate Paris Hilton. Welcome to Storyteller, a podcast where I speak to creatives, scientists, journalists, and everyone in between who are challenging and changing the stories we tell about ourselves and to ourselves. I'm your host, Lisa Golden. In this episode, I spoke with filmmaker Alexandra Dean about her new documentary, This Is Paris, which follows the original influencer that we all love to hate around the world over a year of her life. As she takes stock of her career so far and comes to terms with a traumatic period in her childhood, one that she'd never spoken about before. You will be able to hear that I just absolutely love this conversation. Uh, Alexandra is just brilliant to speak with. For me, this is kind of what obsesses me about storytelling and what I wanted this podcast to be about, which is taking a second look at stories that we think we know and just to have this chance to speak to these people who are retelling these stories. This is so much about Paris Hilton, but it's also so much about Alex's eye as a filmmaker, the steps she took to understand this larger-than-life character... Paris was built in the male gaze, and she fought with that, and she took advantage of that gaze. But Alex's eye is inherently female. She sees things in Paris that feel so familiar through this, through this eye, through Alex's eye, and through these conversations from this voice of Alex asking Paris these questions. We see Paris Hilton as human, as vulnerable, and we also see her in her power. Before we begin, I have to get better at uh, doing the ask. So just a reminder to everyone, please to rate and review the podcast on Apple, if you listen to it on Apple. And more importantly, for me really, is just to share it with a friend, especially this one. I know so many of us, almost all of us, were exposed to Paris Hilton. And if you have an opinion on her, which absolutely everyone does, kind of the point, you need to listen to this conversation and then go watch the documentary or go watch the documentary and come listen to this episode. Um, it will really challenge what you think about her. If you're a guy who was obsessed with her and in love with her, if you were a mom who thought she was revolting and you didn't want your children exposed to her, if you were a girl like me, I speak about my own experiences of how I saw her in, in this episode, um, then this is one for you. And I, I think you should share it with those people in your life. On to the show. I 
like to start the podcast by asking, uh, before we get into all the interesting things that we're going to talk about, if you consider yourself a storyteller. Yes, definitely. 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 I, I was very confused about my life path for a long time. And I tried many things on and I was going to be an academic and I was going to be a print journalist and then I wanted to be in broadcast and I, I kept moving between all these different mediums. I wanted to be a writer for a while and I figured out eventually that the only thing that I was sure of was that I wanted to be a storyteller. Oh, I love that. Fantastic. Um, well, so uh, why we're speaking today is uh, because of your brilliant film that has come out on YouTube Originals um, about Paris Hilton. And I'm just so glad that you could speak to me because I put it on in the middle of the day, in the middle of this sort of busy freelance day, and I saw it was on and I was like, oh, Paris Hilton. And I couldn't put it down. It was so fascinating. And I just, it. I mean, I have so much to say, so I'll slow myself down a bit. But um could you just maybe start with telling us about how you came to make the documentary? Like, did did someone call you up? Did you pitch it? What was the background story of get, of making the documentary? It's a strange story for a director to tell because I didn't pitch it. Uh, and mm. usually I just do my own stories. Um, but I had been, I, I got a, actually, I'm going to tell you the real story because it's funny. I got a LinkedIn <laughs> message. I got a LinkedIn <laughs> message from the Intellectual Property Corporation. And I kept avoiding it because I thought intellectual property, it means they're coming after me for some old movie I've made and they're going to try and make a buck from some archive. that they didn't. That's what intellectual property is. Anyway, so I muted the messages and avoided them for a couple of months. And finally, they called me and they were like, we're IPC, one of the biggest production companies in Hollywood. And we're trying to get you to interview with Paris Hilton because we want to know if you're a good pair to do this documentary. And I was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> like I actually muted you how did you get this number <laughs> I blocked you um, and then within you know I felt like hours I was on a zoom with Paris Hilton it's very bizarre and surreal um, mm. and I grew up I'd grown up in England and mm. didn't really know of Paris I think the way Americans who grew up here knew about her but I did definitely have my own you know, ideas and prejudices, as we all did. And when I met her on Zoom, she was just not at all the person I thought she was oh, going to wow. be. And immediately I heard the different voice and she was very thoughtful and she had really resonated with my last film, which is about this uh, beautiful actress that turned out to be an inventor of Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and GPS. So she had resonated with the fact that this woman was totally unseen by people. And, um, and she wanted to talk to me about that. And that was really interesting. Okay, amazing. So she had seen, and am I right in saying that was the Hedy Lamarr um, film? So, yeah. so she had seen that and was like, "This is this is the person I want to do it." Yeah, she had watched Bombshell, and she felt like Hedy Lamarr had experienced something somewhat similar to what she was going through, which was surprising to me, and made me really curious. Hmm. And can I ask how how long were you filming for? Was it sort of shot over a, a year? Sort of the sense I got. It's a year, almost exactly. And I was filming and editing at the same time. So it was very, very intense. It was 2019, basically. Yeah. And what was really interesting in my research, I saw she was on uh, Drew Barrymore's new show. And um, I guess, sorry, let me give a bit of context for the for for people who haven't who haven't seen it. It is it's following Paris Hilton during a year of her life. And we come to find out that um, she reveals, uh, maybe you, you can probably do a better job of explaining this, but um, it's not its not all about this big event that happened in her life, but it's definitely the first time she's spoken about it. And it sort of gives context to, to her story in just such a crazy new light. Um, so yeah, sorry, not to like oversummarize a like two hour long documentary, but um, uh, could you tell us a bit about that journey? Because for me, I was quite surprised in the Drew Barrymore interview that she said that she actually hadn't really intended on speaking about it and that it was through conversations with you that she decided to reveal this big um, trauma in her life that she hadn't spoken about before. Yeah, I think she, I think she wanted to, honestly. I think she really did want to speak about it, but she may not have consciously realized how much she did want to. But mm. you could definitely sense that about her talking to her at the beginning there was so much she wanted to discuss and she did refer to these boarding schools she'd been to that sounded pretty terrible. 
but it was all very light, you know, she just didn't get into it. Mm. So, of course, over time, I wanted to go back and really unpack it and see what really had happened there and, and find out how much it had shaped her. And, you know, the, the, the reason I kept being invited to do that by Paris was that she kept saying, I, I created my character. I created Paris Wilson in one of these boarding schools. And mm. I, so, of course, as a filmmaker, you say, well, why and how? And that's a weird thing to say. Please mm. tell me more, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting because I think um, the the group that she meets up with at the end of these other, these other women who've had were at the same school and had similar experiences. Um, I thought the idea that when you hit a certain age, around well, like around your forties, that it seems to I I feel like I've experienced that and I've seen that a lot where people sort of hit an age where these hugely traumatic things kind of come back to them and whatever it is about that age where people suddenly need to address it I found that really fascinating that yeah. maybe she was just sort of in a space where she maybe a little bit before she could consciously say it she sort of put the wheels in motion that she'd be able to do it in a in a public way um, 100% 100% I mean look think she started looking into Provo and googling what had happened to her and if there were other people out there that experienced similar things two years before oh, wow. I started yeah. filming with her and then she kind of felt scared by what she found online and backed off but she mm. was circling it. Mm. And I think she really, really did want to open it up for multiple reasons. I think she wanted into her nightmares. I think she wanted to figure out her issues with her family. I think she wanted to, in some ways, expand her brand, you know, so that she could become something else that was a bit more authentic in the public eye and didn't have to keep playing this Barbie that she didn't feel she was anymore. Mm, mm. I find that power I think I, I mean I, all documentaries are about power <laughs> but I put that out there but like it um the I just the power play of her life is really really fascinating because so I'll I'll give you my little spiel now which is um I I grew up in South Africa and um I would have been I was about I would have been 13 when her sex tape, tape came out and I think what really hit me when I watched the film was like, I didn't realize how large she had loomed in those teenage years. She was so prevalent. She was everywhere. And it was yeah. just at that age where, you know, you're just obsessed with boys and you, 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 and um, sort of body image stuff. We had just, we were kind of also just on the internet. We were like those kids who were like going onto these forums and you could see all these pictures that your parents had no idea that you could see and all that sort of stuff. And I just remembered very distinctly, like, boys just were obsessed with her and when yeah. you're a little like horny teenage girl all you want is for boys to be obsessed with you, <laughs> and, you like, and, and um you know if I think now over those years um how yeah she just so she was this ideal there was definitely that was like the sex tape thing was this very confusing message of like she's a slut and she's awful but also yeah. she's so great because she like made a sex tape yeah um anyway so to fast forward I then I think I then spent most of my 20s being like oh you know like I went to university and I studied feminism and I was yeah. like oh um god I'm always remember saying to people like could we have not had someone better than Paris Hilton to look up during that age like god that was all you know no one told us about Maya Angelou we just had like bloody Paris Hilton <laughs> and really like and then I watched that film and I promise you, I almost I almost had like a sinking feeling in my stomach because it it's almost like the evolution of my own feminism, which I was like, wow, I did not understand that situation at all. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, when my friends hear this, they'll die laughing that I'm just like completely would come out sw swinging for her because the reframing of what happened to her as revenge porn, of course it's revenge porn, right? Yeah, um, she was 18 and he was 31 exactly how insane is that and I think that's why I just was like this was the ultimate sort of storyteller thing I wanted to dig into because I, I let, I'm fascinated by stories that are being reinterpreted and I it, I haven't had something so close to me just yet mm. that I've had to reinterpret and I don't know why that also just says like lazy feminism and all this sort of stuff but like I just hadn't clicked that at any point and all those photos I, I, I wouldn't say names um but you know she was abused and I'm I remember seeing those photos of her being physically abused and yeah. I don't why did I never you know put it together switch and put it together so yeah. I, that's why I just think this is like required watching for any woman 
who came into contact with her basically during those formative years. Um, so I'd just be really interested if you've had any other woman just blur just as, just at you like I did. Like, what's the reaction been? I've been, you know, alone in my attic since the film came out because we're in good <laughs> times. <laughs> so all I can do is, like, read the comments. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I definitely do stay up at 2 a.m. reading all the comments. And sometimes, I, I, you know, if somebody's really emotional about it, I'll respond, you know, because it's nice yeah. to have a bit of a dialogue. Overwhelmingly, at least in the comments, it's, it's you know, people just feeling, yeah, a lot of kind of shock and mm-hmm. some shame over this feeling that, oh, I, I judged you all my life, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. uh, which is really interesting. And then some people who will, are gonna hate her no matter what. There's not yeah. any redemption, no matter yeah. what. Yeah. Redemption, it's a tricky concept. We're kind of right in the middle of this white hot heat of cancel culture, of political division, of, of challenging cultural norms where many of us are, you know, in our echo chambers and have picked our sides. But when it comes to redemption, what exactly is it that Paris Hilton needs to be forgiven for? For her narcissism? In an age where now we all document our mundane lives on social media? Is it for making money from her sexuality? In the age of the Kardashians and Cardi B? For being famous? for being famous when she has multiple businesses multiple successful tv shows and a flourishing djing career what exactly are we asking paris hilton to apologize for in the cold harsh light of 2020 i watched a few follow-up interviews and she does does just seem to get like an extraordinarily hard time i i haven't actually seen women come out with stories like that or be as such savvy business like we give i'm sorry i didn't call out uh the kardashian jenna clan but they i mean even they seem to get an easier time of things than she does which is so much easier to me. yes why yeah. right why yeah. i don't know well i i was thinking about whether or not she just because she i mean we can you know the first influencer um a pioneer for all of these things but how crazy because it's such a short period of time i can i can understand maybe if she had she had done something she had been that person 20 years before the kardashians came along but we're talking about a a handful of years (laughs) Um, it was just the second before yeah Yeah. um so what do you think about that what do you think that is people everywhere in the world that we went together went crazy seeing her and it was almost like they were fetishizing her completely. Mm-hmm. They really were making a fetish out of her. And what I mean by that is, you know, creating like almost a plastic object which they could worship. Mm-hmm. And in that case, it's this Barbie, Amer- all-American, blonde, you know, plastic thing that Paris is very good at putting on and has made a kind of an American export of now. And I think people love that intensely and hate that intensely Mm. I think it's that image that is both extremely appealing and extremely repulsive and I think it's because people don't like in themselves how much they're drawn to that you know Mm. I didn't like as a kid the part of me that little bit of me that that wanted to look like Paris Hilton but the desire was there so Mm. that's that same Mm. thing the fetish you know I want to look like Barbie I don't want to want to look like Barbie. I hate Barbie. It's all there together, all mixed up. And you see that in that reaction to Paris. Intense love, intense hate. And she doesn't seem to be able to to get, you know, any more muted reactions. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. It's so amazing. That's exactly what I'd written down in my notes. Um, I was like, that was the combo of being like, ugh, this silly woman, but also like desperately wanting to look like her or be like her or have that power, that... She had, she had an access to power, which, again, now, and as you're older, you know, that it's male power, and maybe it actually isn't even really that real. But um, she seemed to have power in this world where where power was gained via uh, male attractiveness, you know, a male. By the male gaze. She had the male yeah. gaze. Yeah. And actually, that's the trap that I kind of love to look at and talk about. Um, mm. I, I talk about it in Bombshell, and the next project I'm doing is about that, too. There's the, mm. There actually is an enormous power that comes from the male gaze. 
Mm-hmm. And, and we as women tend to get whatever measure of it we're going to get, you know. And for some of us, it's a lot smaller than others. <laughs> but whatever, whatever measure of power we're going to get from that, we get from like 15 years old, mm. you know, until mm. maybe 29 or something. Yeah. And we're typically completely unequipped to deal with it. And it can mm. be very real power. It can be money. It can be advantageous marriages. It can be property, gifts, you name it. Passports mm. is mm. privilege. Yeah. But... Yeah it's piled and heaped upon you for something you don't fully understand and you cannot harness and you struggle to navigate and then it's whipped away and then in its place you know if you were intensely gorgeous like Paris or Hetty typically in its place comes this repulsion about the fact that you've aged Mm. and I don't think Paris hasn't really experienced that yet because she's got this preternatural beauty and this agelessness mm. but Hetty when she stopped being beautiful it was like she you know people blamed her as if she'd done that on purpose she'd taken her beautiful face away from them and they yeah. heaped vitriol upon her to an extent mm. that I could not even understand even philosophically it was just visceral hatred how could you age how could you take that away and of course she experienced that as a total loss of power because she lost the male gaze Mm, mm. so none of that power even though it's real is owned by you governed by you usable yeah. by you navigable it's completely coming from the other and i really want women to talk about that because we kind of need to get to a place where our young women are understanding what's coming at them and also understanding that they need to put their eggs in a different basket if they're going to build real power in their lives and not yeah. feel battered by this terrible storm that is that moment when you get that power. This is the core of what really deeply spoke to me about the concepts that are woven through this film without explicitly being stated. As always, that's a true sign of masterful storytelling. I have had many conversations about the male gaze, about power, about aging, and I'd never ever thought to link them to a figure like Paris Hilton. There's a moment in the film where Paris Hilton is about to perform at the festival Tomorrowland. It's a big moment in her career and she gets into a fight with her boyfriend. Or more accurately, it appears that her boyfriend picks a fight with her. Um, Alex and I do go on to discuss the scene, so I just wanted to play a few moments of it before we lead into our conversation. Every summer I've been wanting to come here. Tomorrowland is the most prestigious, like, biggest festival in the world like there's nothing that compares to it drink water please 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 don't stress me out i'm really nervous as it is no babe i won't stress you out but you left me five pounds a day babe nothing happened what do you mean it's nothing jesus christ you can't just drop a computer before a set. Can someone who's not gonna drop it take it? Thank you. Please stop. Do not do this before my set. Alex, can you tell him to chill the f out? This is f-ed up. I'm playing Tomorrowland. He needs to chill the f out. I'm sick of this shit. I'm playing in six minutes. Stop. Are you really doing that before my set? Okay, then never speak to me again. Tell him to chill the f*** out. Please stop. I love you. Please stop. Please stop. Please. I'm begging you. Stop. I started four minutes. Please. I started three minutes. Do not ruin my set. Can I have his f***ing bracelets cut off? Can we cut his bracelets off? Can we cut his f***ing bracelets off? The scene, um, the Tomorrowland scene, which I, which I understand is, you know, you, you don't want to like put it front and forward as like the most dramatic moment. But um, for people listening, just a very brief, she's she's DJing at Tomorrowland. Um, she has a fight with her boyfriend, a, a very high, uh, high emotional intensity, close to physical altercation with her boyfriend. Um, right as she's 
about to have this like really career defining thing. And she she mentions earlier in the documentary that um, there's a sort of certain level of the the last minute drama that um, she I don't know if she sort of explicitly says that she enjoys it, but um, and there's two things I want to talk about there, which was this. Um, the the voice i know everyone wants to talk about the voice her this changing voice that she has but my heart almost broke where i mean i'd love to talk to you about the voice it must have been fascinating having all these hours of footage of her where her voice so um audibly changes depending on who she's talking to and what situation she's in um but when she lapsed into that baby voice that we all know so well, when she was trying to sort of bring the emotional energy down with this man that was near her, my heart just broke. Cause I think I, I know that voice and I, every woman I know knows that voice that like, and I just, in a, in a moment that should have been a moment of such power mm. of her, like her achieving something in a field that she's obviously really passionate about and where she's away from this character. Mm. Um, and yeah, anyway, so tell, tell me exactly about right. we, uh, yeah. You're a great viewer for this doc. It's so just <laughs> thrilling to, to talk to you because you really saw it the mm. way it was intended. Um, mm. Yes, that's exactly right. I feel that the DJing, and I tried to really portray this, is this place where she really can be Paris. And that's why she gets so much from it, such a hit from it, because she's just purely being herself and not really worrying about mm. the character. She doesn't even have to speak, right? It's silent. She gets mm. to conduct. Mm. Mm. And she has risen in that world and that is her talent. People have always called her talentless. She has no skills, right? Famous for being famous, mm. but this is actually fame for having a skill and she worked mm. really hard on it and she built up her, her reputation by having summer after summer at Ibiza, which people don't know, with her mm. own, you know, residencies, which is a big deal. And then she won uh, best female DJ of the year, a very prestigious award. award. Um, so she really did earn her stripes and at Tomorrowland you see her getting the chance to play in front of 80,000 people the biggest festival of her life and so the biggest moment and you see how jittery she is she's worried about the computer and everything and she has this boyfriend who clearly feels threatened in some way by the fact Mm. that she's about to step on the stage and maybe have this transformational moment and he sort of spirals out is drinking uh, and is staggering about and drops her computer and then demands all of this emotional attention from her as she is getting her own nerves under control and trying to walk out onto the stage. Mm -hmm. And I think every woman who's ever had to placate a man when they were on the precipice of something big in their own professional lives knows the deep, profound, particular frustration of that. Mm -hmm. And the Mm -hmm. fact that we all are trained to turn on that little voice, oh, don't worry, love you, no, I love you, I'm not doing this because Mm -hmm. of you. It's nothing to do with you. you, can you just calm down, I love you, I love you. Seeing that in the scene, I think, makes us all a bit sick because mm. we recognize... I'm feeling sick, literally, you're yeah. just retelling it. I'm getting, like, goosebumps and I feel sick. We like, feel yeah. sick because we recognize mm. that we all do it. Yes, we all know how to do it. We've been trained since we were little how to placate that voice that comes at us, right, when we're, when mm. we're starting to accumulate some very real power. Yeah, yeah. And that's why, I mean, it, again, not a fantastic situation, but when she almost does snap and her anger actually shows, I was like, yes. I loved it too. I loved it too. <laughs> like I you did. don't want to be, you don't want to, you know, never want to endorse anger, but like her whole body changed and, and her shoulders go back. And she's just like, when she tells the bouncer to cut off his wristbands, I yeah. was like, yes, you go, go. Yes. Get him out of here. Cut off his wristbands. Cut him off. And the amazing thing is, that everyone who watches the film has a different reaction to that scene. It's like a Rorschach really? test. A lot oh, of, okay. yeah, a lot of people, you know, reviews, many reviews have been written saying it's the one scene I allowed in the film where she's shown in a bad light. And I actually yeah. don't agree with that at all. No. <laughs> I very God. much thought it was her showing her power, allowing it to be raw and real and not trying to cover it up, you know, with yeah. a doll face. Um, and actually, I think there are other scenes where she isn't shown in a very good light that they think is a good light it's very interesting Mm. um and they often worry about alex you know oh she you know she's so in a bad light because she's so mean to him and you're going really you (laughs) saw that scene of that man flipping out as she was getting on stage in front of eighty thousand people and you felt bad for him the drunk guy getting in her way yeah Yeah. what and you'd be amazed at how many people feel that way oh man oh that's so upsetting (laughs) yeah it's yeah it's 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 part of the challenge of being a female filmmaker often reviewed by men 
Mm, because interesting. most reviewers are still men. And very, mm. yeah, very few people of color, very few, you know, it, it, the diversity isn't completely there yet. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting because I could see it now that you say that, because obviously I just watched it with my, my two own female mm-hmm. eyes. But um, yeah, that sensitivity to male humiliation, that that is, again, that's always that whole, that awful thing of like women are worried about being murdered and men are worried about being embarrassed or rejected. Um, so it's interesting. Well, I mean, to bring it to another scene, like I think the one the one scene that I, th- I thought was really beautiful, and I'd be curious to know if you were there when she does have her little holiday. Um, the, the shots of her, and yeah, the shots of her in the pool, I, I felt like those were the some of the saddest shots of the film, um, just because they're very quiet and she you can you can see her sort of inability to settle with being quiet so yeah I just have to hear your thoughts on that scene so that holiday because we were trying to let her go on holiday it was just actually me and my husband that went with her and Alex and we were kind of two couples on holiday so everything is filmed with my camera and my husband running audio in another room you know and he would try and Mm. not be present so that was just the two of us Mm. and um that scene in the pool I actually just I put the camera on on the cushions in front of the pool and just let it run because I did want to sort of just meditate on that sense in her that is childlike, unsettled. And that's why I chose to run that part of the interview under those images about her not really being able to accept growing up, wanting to stay forever young because that's the mm-hmm. sense I get from that energy. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful the, scene. Then the phone at the end, right? You see her drift off, yeah. and she's the phone, which is really her best friend in many ways, is there. Yeah, and it's also the trap, of course, and what yeah. what's keeping her forever young, and you know, and she knows that, and yet she picks it up like we all do, and off you go into the sunset mm. with your phone. The film does look at Paris Hilton as influencer, the influencer. I know I've spoken, you know, about maybe common thoughts around her and common feelings towards her but she is adored by millions of fans and she does describe them as her community there's an emotional attachment there to people who can never really love her as the person behind the character who cannot care for her at the end of the day paris sits uncomfortably in the middle of this turmoil around understanding her own internal emotional landscape It's one of the most beautiful moments of the film and it involves Alex as a filmmaker. And I just wanted to play this interaction with you here. Um, Paris is speaking about her fans. I don't really know many genuine people besides like my fans, like Polina and Alex, like when they talk to me, it's like not even like my real friends would say that. But can they care for you? Can they care for me? What do you mean? Is that enough? No. I understand this confusion, this pain. Social media has demanded this intimacy, this vulnerability, this connection. It's what got us all addicted to it in the first place. The contradiction seems to come in where Paris Hilton speaks about creating this character, vehemently insisting that it's not her true self, but then takes the love and adoration of that character as true emotional connection. And it sits uncomfortably in the heart of the film. And it is shown in a deeply personal and confusing relationship with her superfans. she obviously has these fans and and how blurred that line has become for her um you know when she when she's in i think it must be korea she's in south korea when she has the two fans come visit her and she sort of works out that she has to wake up incredibly early yeah and she's sort of looking to them being like oh like almost like help me i i don't i don't i don't want to wake up you know and then they almost don't know what to do because they're not her friends they're her super fans you know what i mean they're just like oh yeah um Exactly. So, yeah, how was that trip? That must have been crazy because I feel like that was the height. I can't even imagine, again, getting older. That just looks terrifying. And in this age of um, cell phones where these super fans, 
yeah, like you said, like you said, she's like a plastic doll. Like no one's even actually looking at her. They're looking at her through their phones. Yeah. And they're just like selfie, selfie, selfie. Yeah. Like no, no one's like, hi, no one's <laughs> how are you human. doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a moment in that scene actually that you're thinking of with the super fans where they ask her, you know, she sort of turns to them for help that I wish I'd managed to capture on camera, but mm-hmm. Paris came to talk to me about it when the camera wasn't rolling. Okay. And it is that that little lace bodysuit that she's got, she's wearing, was made by a Korean designer. And Paris is always trying to, you know, wear clothes from the area and support the young kids designers. But the person had literally sewn her into it before we walked oh, out. My goodness! Including okay. her crotch was all sewn shut, mm. and she needed to go to the bathroom. Mm. And she couldn't get out of the that she was going. Alex, I don't, I don't know what to do. I can't get out of the lace bodysuit. Like mm. it's literally sewn onto me. And then the next. Mm group of people came along and she had to go back and keep doing the selfies. She was standing there sewn into this clothing. And I thought, what a Barbie image. This person, Mm -hmm. she absolutely Mm -hmm. is Barbie up there. So to the point where her clothes are sewn onto her body and she can't go to bed. And that's what the life is is like when you're that trapped in the image instead of the human. Human. Incredible. Yeah. And so, I mean, um, uh, I'm sorry, I'm just quickly look at my so many notes yes go ahead, go <laughs> like, ahead. the yeah, yeah. the laptops <laughs> the laptops upset me so much oh the laptops um again for for people listening there's just a very quick scene where she's uh organizing her stuff i'm not 100 sure and she just has piles of laptops yeah and um you know again we we talk about invasions of privacy all of this stuff i don't know why when it happens to jennifer lawrence then we all sort of were like oh no but this is actually bad and you know it, it was almost like this graveyard of like people who had betrayed her mm-hmm. or 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 you know people throwing laptops or um yeah and she just has this pile um so yeah could you sorry could you just talk us a bit through through that scene and what that yes. meant for you yeah so I did not know that that was going to happen when I went over mm. to her house that day. That was supposed to be a scene about her moving into a new house, mm. which is not what it ended up being about. So we lost all that. But I just showed up and she was doing that with the laptops when I arrived. And I, mm. you can see she has just dozens and dozens of laptops stacked up. And she even goes at one point and finds more under her, under her uh, mattress, which is where she's, she hides a lot of them. And it turns out, she tells us, each one is from a relationship that's broken down. And when she gets mm. a new boyfriend, she gets a new laptop because she's scared that they'll go on the old laptop and hack in or get her information or something. Or she's scared that the old boyfriend, ha- I don't know. There's just a fear and mistrust everywhere around this laptop problem. And mm. some of them are bashed up. And it turns out, she shows us one of them, that it's from relationships that have turned bad and the boyfriend has actually been violent and thrown the laptop. And so, as you said, it's a graveyard of these broken relationships and violence. And it's, it's, mm. it's like unbelievably staggering to see them all stacked up and so sad. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, can we, we can move on a little bit more. Um, actually, well, I'll do, I'll do two more like nitty gritty questions, which is um, how do you, how, how did that, how did it feel when you, spend so much time working with someone and filming their life and then they see the finished product could you if if it is something you're willing to talk about like it'd be really interesting because I I mean obviously she's not your normal documentary subject like she's been observed her entire life so it's not a new um shocking thing to see yourself on on camera but um did she did she like the documentary did she yeah I'd just be curious to know what she thought about it she was very very nervous uh the film was finished the first time we showed it to her it was already in place um and she came into ipc to see it and she was shaking and she's in a little sweatshirt mm-hmm. suit and i'd seen her take a music video that she made that somebody made for her and rip it to shreds <laughs> so i was like you know i had my armor on and i was mm-hmm. like i am not going to be you know i, I didn't want to be uh attacked or bullied uh at the same time i really didn't want her to feel shattered about any of it and Mm. i really had no idea what she was going to think we watched it together and she got really angry about two seconds in because there was a clip that i'd used that had been part of a lawsuit that i didn't know about she wanted that out and i said well maybe you know we'll see and it turned out it was part of this lawsuit and then i took it out because that Mm. has nothing to do with the film but it was not a good idea and after that she 
accepted literally every frame. I don't think she loved everything. I think it was hard to watch, um, but she laughed, she cried. Um, and at the end, she just held me. And she said, I think we did something really important here. Oh, that's fantastic. That's really good to hear because that's also like like you said like obviously as a filmmaker like it's not your prerogative to make them happy but at the same time like especially like this isn't a like getcha thing no. you don't want people to feel like they've been misrepresented well especially um, trauma victims right when you're yes, trauma course. victims you have a different yeah. level of responsibility to them you can't you see even there it's so crazy the disconnect is insane like I've made films with um, vulnerable people um, here in the UK and like I know all the procedure around that I didn't even. I wouldn't have even clicked the two together. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So I had this, yeah. And I want your listeners to know I had this massive obligation to Paris, but also the other women that were coming forward with their stories mm. to be as accurate about everything I portrayed in the film as possible and yeah. to not represent anything in a way that would trigger their trauma. Yeah. That's what yeah. I'm trying to do. As you can hear, I could have talked about the themes drawn out in this film for, for hours. And to be fair, on reflection, I didn't spend a lot of time digging into the traumatic events of her teenage years at the disciplinary schools that left her with a host of issues, among them PTSD. I urge you all to watch the film and to learn more about it and look into these schools, as well as the campaign that has been launched to get them shut down. It's called Breaking Code Silence. And uh, yeah, I, I realized on reflection that I didn't really go that deeply into it here and to be fair I don't think I maybe I'm the right person to go really deeply into it uh, but please do check it out it's an incredible and important story but it was time to get into Alex's own life as a storyteller and what a wonderful story she has um so to turn to you as the storyteller, um, can you tell me a little bit more about the path that led to you uh, <laughs> spending a year following a the original influencer around the globe? <laughs> um, how far back shall I go? <laughs> um, as far when uh, well, you said you 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 came around to being a storyteller. So maybe could you tell me a bit about maybe the first um, film you made? That'd be good. About Hetty or about the first film I ever made? Oh, just any, anyone, any even if you're a little yeah. kid with a, <laughs> your parents' camera. So recorder. I think what might be interesting to you, because you're interested in storytelling, is the fact that my mother was quite a well-known uh, children's author when I was growing oh, wow. up. Yeah. Okay. And she would read me the mock-ups of her books, and they were often from stories that we would have, I would have told her as a little girl. Mm, and then amazing. she would take it and rework it, and it would become part of this book. And I think that process probably deeply affected me as a child, seeing my own silly little stories, disappointments, joys, frustrations manifest into a book, which then the world read. Um, mm. Yeah, even though people didn't know that, uh, you know, it was it profoundly affected me. Uh, the books are called Angelina Ballerina, Little Dancing Mouse. Um, that were very big in the UK and the US. Um, I was about to say, I've definitely heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't even have kids. Oh, wow, that's amazing. So, yeah, yeah. You, that's that's such a um, an early understanding of storytelling. That's incredible of, of yeah. how it gets formed and how it comes out from initial idea to book. That's right. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And then my dad was the publisher. So our whole house was a storyteller's house. My brother and I used to have this car game where we would, we would sing a little song and then we'd say story time for, and then we would give up the name. It was a, sorry, the age, it would be like story time mm -hmm. for 98 year olds. And it would all be like, I'm dying. You know? <laughs> <Amazing>. <laughs> and that was our whole car journeys. And my brother actually produced Bombshell with me um, mm. and is one of the people who runs Reframe Pictures with me. So he's, mm. you know, that, that love of storytelling is very much saturated my family and has never gone away. Yeah. Oh, lovely. And can I ask, how did you end up in the in the UK? Did you did you grow up across both countries or? No, I grew up entirely in the UK because my parents, uh, they well, they were both working there. Um, my dad's publishing company was in the UK. My mum had an English illustrator on Angelina Ballerina, and um, they loved England and didn't want to leave. And I came here to go to university, and then married an English husband, brought him over, had two American kids. And by the time our second son was born, my parents sort of gave in and they were like, all right, we'll come back out to the US. Okay. So now they, they still have a place in Belsize Park, London, but they also come here. 
Oh, yeah. amazing. Okay, great. Okay, yeah. great. Um, well, I think that's everything from my side. I was, I always like to ask if, I mean, I guess there's twofold questions here. Like, what do you, I, I would ask, what, okay, I'm going to ask two questions. One is, even after this film, what do you think is the most greatly misunderstood thing about Paris Hilton? What I've noticed in the response is that there is this great reluctance to allow for the idea that she has actually changed. There's a great mm. cynicism, you know, a lot of questions about her, you know, was this just past part of her next rebrand? She's a master of rebranding. She's very bright. She's very manipulative. According to some people, did she manipulate me into following her through this rebranding? And is she inside still this very undeveloped character? Uh, mm. You know, maybe, spoiled maybe hateful in some way and I didn't notice that because I so wanted to believe this rebranding and I think you know what I want people to know is if that comes across in the film then I have failed because the experience of actually following her over a year and going through this trauma and revisiting it and and finding the people who actually corroborated her story and knew her was extraordinarily moving and I was changed by it and I saw her be changed by it, but I was changed by it too. And I had a sister who was institutionalized. And I think it was sort of felt like therapy for both of us. And mm. to this day, you know, we were on the phone yesterday about impact and how do we keep moving forward this breaking code silence campaign and start closing down the schools. You know, to this day, she's a very different person, even from when we began filming. And mm. I worry sometimes that that cynicism just comes from a place in our society right now where we just don't want to allow for the fact that people can change. We're more interested in condemning them for past actions, the cancel mm -hmm. culture. And I worry about that because I think if we don't think people can change, why have social justice campaigns at all? Yeah. Why have political campaigns? You know, we believe, we have to fundamentally believe that people can change. And that mm. people can evolve and that people can stand for something more than they stood for yesterday. Yeah. And that's where yeah. I come from as a filmmaker. So I hope people get from my film that she actually has changed. Yeah. Yeah. And just re-examining, like we, we're all doing a lot of re-examining and I, I, I would, it's interesting that we are open to re-looking at different, I'm, I'm not like, obviously there's huge social movements re-looking at history, but um that she's someone who to me just so clearly deserves a relook so it's interesting that people um would be are seemingly reluctant to give her that um okay and then my last question is just for you as a filmmaker and, and also on this project um is there something that you feel like people should ask you about but don't is there something that i feel like people should ask me about but don't Yeah, I think one of the things that's very interesting about being a filmmaker is the conversation that you have after your films come out. And they mm. can go on for two years and you have these they're very deep conversations around these themes of, in my case, power. As you said, all docs are about mm -hmm. power, maybe. But definitely power, gender dynamics, uh, you know, influence, privilege, all of these questions. And I feel like people maybe you should ask filmmakers about those conversations because we've thought on them for so long, you know, and you did, mm -hmm. but many people miss that, that you, you literally spent years of your life going around the world, talking to people of all different kinds about these themes. Mm -hmm. And that's why your next film often resonates with your last one, because now you've got new things to say and new questions to ask based yeah. on what you've said before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. I love that. I love that. Yeah, I mean, that's also what's interesting is um, uh, with this with this podcast. I, I've been in I've been in news and that world for a long time, and um, having everything be news pegged. Fine, I get why that happens. But I've also really enjoyed as a part of this podcast, like I like reaching out to people who've had projects come out like two years ago, and I'm like, I still want to talk about it. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes those people have a have a better understanding of their work when they've had some space from it, you know. And I think we almost rob ourselves a bit of like, you know, cramming this entire. So you have this beautiful long project, then you have to cram all your like reflection and understanding of it into this tiny little window, and then we you know we can't talk about it ever again because yeah. you know God forbid it's two months old or something. You know, yeah. it's crazy. So yeah. That's it's good to hear. It's very weird. Um, okay, so the little wrap up thing. So um, you can watch the film on YouTube Originals, which you, if you don't want to 
I'm sorry, sorry, YouTube, but you can you can sign up for a one month free trial. So you, it is it is accessible for most people. It is accessible for everyone to watch because if you've got a subscription already, you'll be able to see it. Um, you can also campaign... watch it with ads for free. You can just watch it with ads for free as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, fantastic. I was trying to find it earlier because I I thought maybe I'd watched it in some like magic window when it first came out, <laughs> and then I couldn't find it. Okay, so great. Okay, just... so you can watch it with ads. Perfect. Yeah, Google Paris Hilton documentary. It'll be the first video that comes up. That comes up. Yeah. yeah. And um, for the campaign, where can people learn more about it? Do you know? Um, if you go onto social media, Twitter or Insta, and you go hashtag breaking code silence, you'll see it all yeah. in the conversation and many other testimonials from other people who've been to other schools. And you'll realize it's a massive, massive problem. The schools extend all the way across the United States. They're all related to each other and the same abuse is going on today. Yeah. And um, if anyone wants to find you or follow you or, and or if you, can you tell me a little bit about your next project or is it still under wraps? It's a little bit under wraps, but it's, okay. it is 10 hours on, uh, and it really examines the sexual revolution in the United States and how it happened and what went wrong and that the seeds of the Me Too movement were really there in the beginning with the, with the way we, we formed our sexual revolution. Amazing. Oh, great. Okay, so where can people find you so they can get first dibs on it when it comes out? Uh, yeah. Uh, and on Twitter, I'm um, at Alexandra Dean. And on, um, on Instagram, I'm Alex Dean Director. Okay, great. And I'll add all the links in the show notes underneath so people can find it. Okay. Um, so they don't have to just remember. Um, okay, great. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed this so much. Um, this okay. was like, I was like, oh, I wonder if I'm going to be like mad nerdy and you'd be like, oh my God, this is awful. But it was a lovely conversation. Thank you so much. It was a great pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for being so thoughtful. All right. Uh, one last thank you to Alexandra Dean. I cannot wait to watch what she makes next. If you haven't, go and watch this documentary. It is for free on YouTube. It is fascinating. I'm actually going to go watch it again now after this. I'm pretty sure I'm definitely on my like third watch at this point. Just because there's so much there. And it is it's just inherently fascinating. I, you know, exactly what Alex said. She, whether there's something about her that is intriguing and watchable. And she just, res and she just represents so much about the early pop culture that at least I was exposed to I will add a link in the show notes if you need it but um, it's much easier just to jump over to YouTube type in the word Paris Hilton it'll be the first thing that comes up thank you as always for spending your time with me this one has run on and it's I was never gonna cut cut it <laughs> if I had my way this would have been three hours long so uh, please if you've really enjoyed this it means a lot to me if you could shout it out on social media or share it with someone that you think will get something out of it podcasts travel by word of mouth and yeah that's how i find all of my favorite podcasts so the rate and reviews on apple are always a huge help and just any sign posting or subscribing and even just subscribing is great and then these little episodes just show up in your feed every week as always you can email me i'm at storytellerpod at gmail.com on twitter at at storytellerpod1 with the number one and on instagram at storyteller underscore pod thank you for your time and for your attention and until next time <laughs>